Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the LDTRT Let's Do the Right Thing podcast. A podcast helping you see where industry leaders and legends have started with a new direction and, well, done the right thing along the way. Today I'll be talking with Kathleen Saxton and asking specifically about your journey to date and what the best and worst things have been about it. The worst piece of advice was somebody said to me that I shouldn't become a headhunter because I'd find it deeply boring and all headhunters are parasites. And I understood why they said it, and it's someone who's also a great mentor to me. But the truth was, I was determined to build a headhunting practice that was the complete opposite of both of those things, and I did. Kathleen, I also want to hear about where you're setting your sights on now, and maybe what problem in the world you're setting out to resolve. I'm Adam Hopkinson, the host of this podcast and founder of LDTRT. For those of you who don't know us, we're a specialist consultancy set to transform business by delivering best practice and excellence in the world of digital media. We also have a passion for blockchain. We have a couple of thanks uh, straight off the bat. Um, it's been a delight working with Radio Works to get this project running, and it wouldn't have happened without them, so thank you very much. I also have to thank James Carey for the music. My brief to make it sound like Slayer was, as you know, very wisely ignored. Um, and of course, to Kathleen, who through Lighthouse, psyched, with deep involvement in Childline, is very much doing the right thing for everybody she works with. It's a delight to have you here today. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Pleasure. I remember way back when, in radio days, I remember the ironing board study, where one of the regular responses from radio listeners was that radio is a friend, radio keeps me company, etc. Your early career being in radio, delivering comfort to listeners, you moved on from there into talent management, helping advertising industry members achieve more from their lives, and have now launched Psyched, addressing the ever-increasing issue of mental health in all industries. You really have done the right thing along the way. It's lovely to see. Is it a deliberate trajectory? Was it all planned? Like most things in life, nothing was planned. I wish I could say it was, but it wasn't. But I think there has always been something about the human condition for me. I've always been fascinated by why people do what they do, why they don't do maybe what they should do. Um, and all of us are vulnerable to being persuaded sometimes in life to take the wrong job, be in the wrong relationship, um, make the, make bad decisions. But we're also absolutely positively able to make the right decisions a lot of the time. And I think often we do. I think we're, we're born and we're, we're wired and we're programmed in the main to try and do the right thing most times. And so I'm fascinated, have always been around why we make the decisions that we do, positive or negative. And I think, you know, from the media perspective um, and having worked up and through radio and then television and various other things and then switching over to the talent side, 
it was actually spurned on, and actually this is not uh, uncommon for my story, with someone saying that I couldn't do something. Ah. And I'm a Torian, so that's really <laughs> not a good piece of advice to come at me with. So when I worked on the media side, I was really keen to work on the creative side. I've always been very musical. I always thought that um, the creative side of my being wasn't really being serviced, if you like. And I remember the headhunters all saying to me, well, you're a media, you come from media agencies, you come from media owners. It's not something that um, you know we can represent. You'd have to start at the bottom again if that's what you wanted to do. And... I just wasn't having any of it. I wasn't prepared to have no for an answer. I felt that my skills were very transferable. And lo and behold, eventually I, I managed to get a job at Saatchi and Saatchi and I went on and did other things in the creative space. But I was very um, taken by the rigidity, I think, of, of our, an industry that would call itself creative and the rigidity of headhunters that I felt had a duty of care to be lateral in their thoughts because talent is talent, right? You can do all sorts of stuff if, if there's talent in the room and there's energy in the room. So that was kind of one of the reasons that spurred me on to become a headhunter because my feeling was, well, maybe I need to go and become the headhunter that I was looking for when I was in that earlier part of my career. And I think there are many, many headhunters in the world and there's fantastic ones out there for certain. I have some that are great competitors for me. But there are very many that really are quite mediocre and quite lazy and not really willing to kind of stick their neck out for people. And I've always been quite brave. So my view was, can we set up a firm that represents the human condition, that really sees all of somebody, not just the front professional CV? And can we actually work with people? And we say it on our website, actually, to kind of help you realise your professional dreams. You know, can we really understand you deeply enough to ensure that we kind of travel with you through a very long, hopefully 20, 30 years of your career, a little bit like an agent might, rather than just, I've got a brief, I'll slam a CV together and fingers crossed. And then what came from that was... Um, we always start every interview, certainly in the UK, with where was home, what did mum and dad do, what did you want to be when you were a kid? And as you can imagine, that elicits a lot of rich, uh, nourishing material. But often what comes with that are some very difficult stories as well um, and adversity and those kinds of things. And my own backstory wasn't a particularly uh, happy one as a child. I lost my home when I was 11, was homeless uh, at the age of 11. Uh, my parents broke up many times through my upbringing. There was quite a lot of violence in the home and those kinds of things. So although I'm very open, of course, to other people's stories, um, I was finding that when we were interviewing people, they were bringing some stuff that was incredibly sensitive and difficult. And it was a great honour, actually, to and a privilege to witness and hear those stories. But my view was still as a headhunter that I needed to take care of that part of people as well but I wasn't trained to do so so I could do it with best intent but mm -hmm. I wasn't trained to do so and that's what led me into thinking I better go and get trained. And then somebody said something like no you haven't got enough time to do that and you went yes I do. <laughs> I think we make the time and I think you know you mentioned Lighthouse and obviously Psyched, I'm sure we'll talk about, and Advertising Week and Childline. I've got two children. Um, I try to have a relationship. Like, I've got a lot of things I want to do this year. You just have to find the time. You have to schedule the time. You, you have to eke it out some way or other. So it's a very clear trajectory that, that you've had. When did you realise that the industry was in need for properly taking care of itself mentally? I think probably in the first year of Lighthouse, we're 10 years right. old this year, um, we interviewed uh, a number, we sort of interviewed somewhere between five and 6,000 people a year at the, at the company. And the amount of people that might have a tearful moment in the room, I think, as you can imagine, because we represent sort of CEO level candidates, 
by the sort of age and stage that you may have got to, you normally have something going on potentially with parents that are becoming unwell. You may have a situation with children. You may have a situation with divorce. There may be things that are challenging in life that are coming up and through. And we found that people were talking about those things to us as much. When we were talking about, you know, can you go and do a big global leadership role, they might say, well, actually... I've got trouble going on with one of my daughters or I've got something happening with my husband or my mother's, you know, been diagnosed with dementia or cancer. And we were realising how much material people are holding inside or masking because in competitive leadership positions, you don't want to show any sign of weakness. So it never gets discussed that openly. Uh, but it doesn't mean that people aren't holding it every single day in their being. Wow. Um, I mean, if we, if we go back 10 years, I, I, maybe I didn't see this because, you know, at the beginning of Lighthouse and you're interviewing a lot of people, you, you would have seen it. But I kind of feel that maybe the industry wasn't talking about mental health and wasn't talking about stress. And stress was just something that became part and parcel with the job and you just had to get on with it to deliver whatever you needed to do. I think we had a badge of busyness. We had a badge that stress went with seniority and that we should be comfortable with that. I think if you... You know, I'm sure you talk to someone like Bruce Daisley at Twitter who's written Joy of Work. He will say when the BlackBerry first came out, we willingly got excited about wanting to have one and we made a case to our bosses that we needed to have one. <laughs> and unwittingly, we walked two and a half extra hours of work into our day every yeah. day. Overnight. Overnight. Yeah. So I think we desperately didn't want to show any weakness. I think there was a view that um, if we couldn't hack it, that there was something wrong with us. And to the mental health point specifically, you know, it was a huge stigma that yeah. you would be regarded as having some kind of mental illness, weakness. We were brought up in an era where people went to mental homes, mental institutions. There's quite a draconian shadow that's cast over anything to do with mental illness or wellness. And I think people have come up with lots of different names and words to try and soften it. But fundamentally, how possibly could we exist as human beings without having both physical and mental health spectrums that we all live on and we move up and down those spectrums all the time? And, you know, my view was also, I guess, given my backstory, I didn't uh, have therapy until I was 30. And I had therapy for about four years with an incredible therapist. And, you know, I often, when I do see him, I'll say to him, you kind of saved my life. And I don't mean that in a dramatic sense. I mean it as in, he helped me to make sense of what was going on in my world and why I was reacting the ways that I, that I was. And I think that after that experience, I couldn't understand how I possibly could have gone through life without having unpicked and understood those parts of me so I could go forward. So to me, it would almost be like someone now saying that they never go to the doctor. Mm. And I would think what's being avoided if you're not prepared to go to a doctor. A lot of people don't go to the dentist. I wanted to be a dentist as a kid. A lot of people don't go to the dentist because they fear what may be found. And I think that until we get to a point where we understand that, of course, we'll find things because we're human beings and our life is constructed by the experiences that we've had, good and bad. Do you get feedback about your practice now like that? I do. And, and that's, you know, a very lovely byproduct of it. Um, and you work with people. I've been practicing now for nearly five years and I um, have people that have been with me the entire time. I still practice with people. I have people in my clinic who I've been with the whole journey through. And you get to know that person very, very deeply and you see where they struggle and you see where they overcome. And likewise, you can be with people that want to come and do a piece of work, but not the whole work. And that's OK as well. And for me, I hold all of them deeply, deeply in my heart and they're often in my mind and 
I think, it, as I said before, it's an, it's an incredible privilege. It's not a cliche. It's such a privilege that someone would be brave enough to sit with you in a room and tell you things that they literally have not told anybody else. And they hope and trust that you will not judge. You will only try and help them understand and make sense of it. Amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. Um, I do feel that you are ahead of the game in identifying the need in the industry to take this seriously. And it feels like mental health is becoming part of, of everybody's conversation. But is it really on everybody's agenda yet? Do you think that the stigma has been eroded? Is it still there? Are we doing the right thing? I as think an the industry? stigma is still there, but I can give you a couple of um, little stories I hope that which will be helpful. So about three years ago when we launched Psyched, I wanted to do an event where we would launch Psyched. And so I went to a bunch of CEOs that I knew had had therapy because they had shared that with me. Um, and I said to them, would they go on camera and talk about the fact that they'd had therapy? And thankfully, I managed to get 10 of them to go on camera. But even when we filmed them, they kind of struggled to say the word therapy. They would sort of say coaching, even though it was psychotherapy, or they would talk about having had a difficulty. It was the language was still very tentative. Um, but I remember on the night we showed the film at Café de Paris to about 500 people. And I remember you could have heard a pin drop. Mm. There were some very brave people that are very senior industry talking about having had therapy. And everybody looked agog at each other that anybody, A, would have admitted it or indeed some of the people they would never have guessed, if you like, had had therapy. And I think that showed me that our um, traditional archetypes of what you need to be to have therapy were really, really out of tune and really out of date. And then this year, just gone on last November, we did a piece of research and we called it the action of inaction. And it was about the number of uh, businesses, particularly in our sector, because obviously that's the sector I know, who talk a lot about mental health, mental wellness programs for their teams, those kinds of things. But actually, when we looked at how much money they were really investing in it, it was very, very light. There were some exceptions. Someone like Josh Kaczewski at Mediacom, they have actually invested a lot of money in it. But for others, it still feels like a crisis moment that they will find you a therapist when something really bad has happened suddenly. Um, and it may be something like bereavement, which kind of feels a bit more palatable than the most. People coming and saying, actually, I'm really struggling with anxiety or stress. I'm having panic attacks. I'm finding that I don't want to come to work in the morning. I'm finding that I'm feeling a bit suicidal or I'm feeling um, so depressed that I'm getting through meetings, but I'm really struggling. Um, people still tend to move a little bit away from that. And I do think some of it's also about money. I think that at what point as employers do we decide what's the line between being responsible or not? And that is difficult because, you know, we don't feel fully responsible for every part of someone's life, but the mental health side obviously is pretty important. So, you know, I think we are, we it's work in progress. I think we have certainly started that journey. There's no question about that. I think any business that doesn't recognise that would not be deemed as a good place to work. But the truth around how much is really being put into that and whether or not you are allowed to recover mm. from having a period of mental unwellness. I think, you know, if we break a leg, we know that we recover. Everyone forgets you broke your leg. But, you know, if you're taken off a project because you're really struggling, you know, do people speak in whispers about you forever after that to say, you know, we're not sure if they can handle a project or a client or a a pitch or a because maybe they're not quite up to it. It feels that we never that never gets forgotten. Do you feel that there's a little bit of distance left to go then for the industry to fully embrace that you do recover? And you, I think there's a huge amount. And I think it'll probably only come when very senior people are willing to tell their personal stories. And I think we've found that those that are really willing to stand up and talk about the real difficulties of what's happened to them and how they've recovered um, 
A, that gives people hope. Of course it does. But it also gives permission, which is the most important thing, to talk about it in a way that's completely non-judgmental. So we're, we're getting there. But I, I actually, Adam, I think we have a, a very long way to go with it. I think there's a lot of lip service. and But deep down, I think people still hold a fear around what it might say about them or what mm. it might say to others. So we still do a lot of masking. So you mentioned Mediacom um, making strides into correcting this, which is fantastic. Is there anybody else that you think needs to be name-checked as being a vanguard here? Um, Ella as stylist and what stylists are doing actually to really talk about female mental health in particular I think is incredibly helpful Um, I think that uh, someone like Matt Adams at Havas actually is um, is someone that really deeply appreciates you know what it means to support people in the right way and he's willing to talk about it which is also incredibly helpful um, I think Mark Crichton has done a great job of that I think the ladies at Albright I think Anna and Debbie at Albright have also you know full on gone in on the topic without having any shying away from it and I think every time somebody does that we take off a little layer of the shame that is somehow associated with it and shame is such a pervasive feeling and we all carry it in some form but I think I think when we talk about stigma I I think it's shame that we're really talking about the sense that we've somehow inherently been taught to be ashamed of of having any of these feelings and I think certainly as a therapist certainly as a headhunter certainly as a a best friend and a, a mate to 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 my sort of fraternity, I will always say there have been times when I have felt that bad in, in, in a way to try and give them permission to say, it's actually completely normal. It's okay. Mm. And, you know, often in clinic, as you can imagine, suicide is mentioned a lot. And I am 100% talking about suicidal thoughts, suicidal feelings, talking about, you know, sometimes when people are even planning how they'll do it, which is often a warning sign. But to be able to sit with someone and completely normalise that conversation and say, okay, let's really talk about it. Suddenly, sometimes that just takes the edge off the feeling, which is it's all right. And other people will be so terrified to have someone come and talk about it. They move away because they're not quite sure what to do. So one of the things Josh did do at Mediacom was they trained a number of their staff to have suicidal conversations just so that it was okay to reveal the depth of some of those feelings. Because we know in life, within very short periods of time, those feelings move. They move on. Uh, We get over things. Wow. Gosh. Good to hear that people are taking it seriously. And and obviously it's good to hear that people do have the support network to be able to address it and talk about it and move on, as you say. It feels like you've helped a lot of people and it feels like you've been all about helping people along the line. You know, the, the, the comment about radio being community or companion for people, moving into talent management, helping people through psyched. Um, I, I don't really want to ask the question, given that you have so much on, but is there a next step in this journey for you? I think I can see some things emerging on the horizon. I think my talent management career is far from over. I still have a lot I still want to do with that. I think my work with Childline um, is very, very close to my heart. I think what Esther's done with the organisation and Tom Tomazi has been absolutely incredible. But at the moment, for example, on the school service, we have a school service that goes up to 11 when people go and visit children and help them understand what they can do. I'm very curious about what we could do with the secondary school level. Um, I'm curious about how I might be able to marry through training therapists and secondary schools and whether or not we can do something that's at service to both. I know when I was training, you, you need a lot of exposure 
exposure to get your kind of pilot's licence. And I'm wondering whether there's something in a very safe environment we could do to to broaden that service for them. And I think Childline, it still shocks me that Childline is not funded at all by the government. And I think that in every piece of fundraising is what we need to do. And we can only answer every three out of every four calls. So shocking statistics. So Childline... Um, I feel that there's probably a further journey for me to take there in some form. And I think therapeutically, I have no doubt that when I'm no longer useful to the media industry and I no longer can keep up with your blockchain obsessions, <laughs> that I will um, probably full on going to psychotherapy later on in my career. And again, I have already, I, I think a lot in pictures and I can see a building, you know, in central London that is bright white and beautiful and open and, and encouraging, which houses all sorts of different types of therapists, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual. And it's somewhere that you're really proud to go in the same way. We'll happily say I'm off to see my PT or I'm off to see my coach yeah. with great pride. You know, at what point will we say I'm off to see my therapist or I'm off to see my um, you know, advisor of spiritual matter or whatever it may be, at what point will that be completely okay? You know, I, I'm sure we both remember a day when people got coaching 15 years ago because actually they weren't very good and they were being performance managed and it wasn't something of pride. Whereas now everybody's desperate to say they've got a coach. I think something will happen here whereby um, to have a therapist will be viewed as incredibly enlightened rather than because you've got a problem. It seems to be something that's uh, been adopted in the US quite a lot. I, I think you know, I'm off to see my therapist is probably a fairly common phrase that people use. How, how, do, how do we adopt that? How do we bring that to the UK? I think we will. But again, I think it's back to, and unfortunately, it will be the senior people that need to do it. I think that the, the younger generations probably quite happily talk about therapy. And I think our generation and above, you know, we are the ones that are going to have to help help balance up that as well. Um, when we did film for Psyched, as I mentioned before, one of the fantastic individuals that helped was uh, John Wilkins, who's obviously Kamarama Accenture, and very openly talked about it. And he said when he was running naked in New York, um, he'd been there for about a month and um, an, an all-staff email came out and it said, uh, having a few problems, looking for a therapist or psych, as they might call them out there, and um, can any of you uh, suggest anybody to me? And he immediately, as a Brit, thought, oh, my God, this is career suicide. What are you doing? Was that supposed to be an, an all-email? Exactly. Yeah. And what he noticed was within a matter of minutes, there was a number of people coming back saying, hey, you know, try Susan down on the west side. She's brilliant. I've been working with her for about two months. And then someone else was sort of saying, oh, you should try Desi. He's brilliant. And he realised this is a completely normal currency. It'd be the same way as us saying, do you know a good chiropractor in, wow. in Soho? So he realised at that point, there's nothing. You know, it was his reaction that actually was the odd thing out. And I think it will come. I good. think think it will come. I just think we just have to persistently encourage people to be very open about their own journey. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Got some sort of rapid-fire questions now, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. I'll try my best. Okay. Over the course of your career, has there been a mantra that you've led yourself by? There was a mantra that I was told when I first, my first ever media circle night, which for many of us is kind of a baptism of fire. And a man who I can't remember his first, second name, but his, I know his first name was Jerry and he was very famous in our industry. It wasn't Bullman, it was someone else. And he said, there is a great danger in life that we only value things that we can measure precisely. And we end up being precisely wrong rather than roughly right. Okay. And I really, I know we're in a world where everything wants to be measured, but I also as a therapist and as a human being believe in my gut instincts and sometimes being roughly right is good enough for me. Yeah. Wow. You've just taken me back to media, media circle as well. <laughs> heady days. <laughs> yeah, the heady day indeed. What's the best piece of advice that you have heard over your career? We get offered so much. Well, I'm going to say a really easy one. Dress for the job you want, not the job you've got. Ah, Okay. What does that mean about what I'm... Okay. <laughs> You're going line dancing, Adam, I, I, by the look of it. Apparently I am. <laughs> and, and the worst? The worst piece of advice was somebody said to me that I shouldn't become a headhunter because I'd find it deeply boring and all headhunters are parasites. And I understood why they said it, and it's someone who's also a great mentor to me. But the truth was I was determined to build a headhunting practice that was the complete opposite of both of those things, and I did. And you really have done that. And 10 years on, congratulations. That's Thank you. fantastic. Um, what's the biggest mistake that you've seen made in the industry? My worry sometimes for the industry, but also us as a human race to some degree, is that we um, are so desperate to belong, and that's a natural human instinct, that we tend to follow um, gluts of patterns and sometimes abandon our own individual thinking or we abandon self. We abandon self at service to wanting to be accepted or to belong or to fit in. And I understand why that is. But we will never make change in our society unless some of us are willing to stick our neck out and to stand up for things, speak out for things, be prepared to stand alone for a while until others might come around to our way of seeing the world. And I think that we're not breeding enough of those people. We're not encouraging enough of that right now. And I really feel that we need more and more individuals in the world that are willing to do that. Okay. And then we do that, and that could be the biggest recovery that the industry sees. I do think so, because I think that we, we work in a fantastic industry. Indeed. I think we work very hard at the moment to be full of doom and gloom, but there is such incredible talent and incredible people and some fantastic ideas that you know do move the needle, do move the economy, do move on society. And media is such a powerful platform by which we can do so much of those things. So when we use it for the greater good, when we find a way to wrestle down our ego and to actually just be with the soulfulness of who we really are, wonderful things can happen. We just get swept up sometimes, and we all do. I do too. We get swept up in, you know, the kind of accolades and the material benefits and 
um, where we stand and sit in certain places. And actually, at the end of the day, we're only here once and it doesn't really matter. What matters is what we do while we are here. Indeed. And I can still see enthusiasm on your face for the industry. Oh, completely so. Yeah. Listen, it's um, I think it's one of the funnest places to work. Oh, really? I have met some of my greatest friends and confidants in this business. And in the main, most people are absolutely delicious in this business. And we're very lucky for that. Amazing. Thank you so much for sparing your time today. Not at all. Thanks for having me. To hear more, subscribe to the show. And why not leave us a nice review while you're there? as it helps others find us. Let's Do the Right Thing was devised and presented by Adam Hopkinson and was a Maple Street Creative production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.